4th Avenue. We're in a series on the names of Jesus. And when we look at the names of Jesus in Scripture, we are quite handicapped by the vast difference and the vast distance between us and not only that culture, but most cultures on the planet today. His culture, his language, his generally understood norms were all different than ours. And in most of the world, their concerns are totally different than our concerns. And their focus are totally different than ours. And so the word bridegroom means something to the rest of the world that it doesn't mean to us. There are several passages in Scripture where Jesus refers to himself as a bridegroom. One of the most famous is Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 10. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. And all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived, the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Now, if you were raised in a church like that, by, by the way, if you've never heard that story before, you're thinking, what in the what? Oh, hang on. If you were raised in a church I was raised in, this was all about you. Are you ready for Jesus to come back? Don't be one of those stupid women that didn't have the oil and Jesus is going to come back and now you're, you're in trouble. And then you're going to have all the heat you need, you know, for eternity. Um, <clears throat> the focus is supposed to be on the bridegroom. But we don't focus on bridegrooms. And that's what makes this very difficult. Throughout Scripture, Jesus and God are referred to as bridegrooms. Most of us are familiar with Ephesians chapter 5 where the, the church is the bride of Christ. There's a wedding scene in the book of Revelation where the bride is, is lowered down from heaven and it's like a confection. She's so beautiful, but here comes the bridegroom and that's where all the focus is. We miss a wealth of information about God's love for us and what he can do for us today by thinking this is all about us and not focusing on the bridegroom. When Jesus called himself the bridegroom, everybody there would have understood exactly what he meant, and we struggle with it. The Old Testament, God says Israel is his bride. Even though Jesus kept bringing up, one day I will die for you, one day you will understand I am the bridegroom, like in Matthew chapter 9 and verse 15, when he says, how can the guest of the bridegroom mourn while he's with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. In other words, you're happy when the bridegroom comes. Let's look at what our culture does. In our culture, we've talked about this before, bridegroom, not that important. Uh, in fact, he dresses like everybody else up on the stage does. That way, if one of them falls over, they just move to the right, and it's all set. It's fine. He walks in with no ceremony, usually no, no music. He just, 
he just needs to be there. He hasn't made any of the decisions. Oh, sometimes they play. Which of these do you like? And we know this is a rigged game. I like that one. What about that one? Well, I like that one too. Well chosen. And we'll go through all of this, but we know we play very little part. And in fact, in America, for some reason, the father of the bride pays for all the wedding. The bridegroom's just kind of over there going, I'll get the cake, you know, um, for the bride, for the, the groomsman, but that's it. You know, some Twinkies and a, and a table and we're good. I don't know why we have all of these rules. I've been told it's a social contract. I didn't sign anything. I'm not sure why we have done it this way. We've elevated the bride to the point where the bridegroom is off to the side. You need to understand something. For the rest of the world, even today, that is bizarre. Because it's the bridegroom that's the hero of the story around the world. It's the bridegroom that is, not just in Jesus' time, even now, the coming of the bridegroom is the big news. There will be parades and villages throughout Asia or Africa and in many European countries where the bridal procession goes, but it's not a bridal procession. It's a marriage procession, and it's the bridegroom who comes. When she comes, she's delivered to the bridegroom. Now, some of you might think, oh, that sounds awfully sexist. Well, then you haven't paid attention to the two sermons I did before I left on how God respects women. You need to understand something. When God respects and loves women so highly, as we saw he did, it doesn't mean he doesn't respect men. There is a place for men in our culture. There is a place for men in the economy of the universe. I can remember back in Scotland when they, they first cloned. Do you remember that? First cloned an animal. They cloned a sheep in Scotland because we just didn't have enough sheep. <laughs> We're all looking at each other going, a sheep? Come on, a unicorn. Do something, you know, um, you know, an endangered species. Do one of them. Nope. Sheep. And I can remember women writing in the newspaper and on television saying, this means men will eventually be evolutionarily taken out of the picture. We don't need them anymore. Really? That's not the way the universe works. And any system, any culture that denigrates women or men is wrong. We play a part. We're here for a reason. Please remember, let's try to set the scene, although it's so difficult to put yourself back there. You're going to live in a time where there are no real borders. There are understood, my people are on this side of that stream, your people are on that side, but there's no way to enforce it except with individual action. There's no constitution. There's no police force. There's no standing army. Are you aware that most of history, people did not have an army to go to and say, right, go get them. Instead, when war started, you would take a year or two to gather your people from the farmers and the bakers and the like, and then line them up and hand them sticks and wish them best of luck. There weren't armies to protect you. No police, no laws, no judges you could go to and say, I have been harmed. Those, that would be in the future. And in many places in the world, it still is in the future. Women most of the world, 
and certainly in Jesus' time and before, were protected by their fathers. And their fathers protected them very, very carefully because if the father was overwhelmed, the women were taken. And again, it happens every day all over the world. We know about sex trafficking. You should know at least. My wife and I were involved in, um, in Colorado Springs with the Cinderella House, which is the, the, all over the, the U.S. They build these houses. The addresses are not made known to people where they rescue women in sex tra uh, trafficking and they bring them in and get them healthy, reunite them with family as much as possible, get them an education, change their name so that they can avoid the traffickers. It's, it's awful. And so the father was there as, a, as the pillar of strength, as the wall to protect his, his daughters. But what happens if the father dies? Dying was easy back then. My great-grandfather great-great-grandfather died because he cut himself on a bit of fence and it became tetanus and there's nothing you could do. Sepsis and the like killed so many people so quickly. What happens if he's gone? Then they have to rely upon one of two things, male relatives or being in a large group of women and that didn't always work because a large group of women was sometimes looked upon as a big target Think of Nigeria and Boko Haram. They look upon them as a girl's school? Great. That's a target. Unprotected. Without that protection, women were fair game to any passing thug, any passing warlord. What happens if the father gets too old? If he can't protect you? If there's no male about? it's very likely that you will end up in poverty, slavery, being trafficked sexually or otherwise. So the bridegroom to them was a heroic figure riding in, and in fact, that's what he does in the Old Testament and in the book of Revelation, riding in well-armed, ready to fight to protect you. That's what, that's, that's your value. We lived on top of a mountain in West Virginia for eight or nine years, and ever so often, our neighbor who worked for the Department of Natural Resources would call us and say, get your dogs in, there's been a bear spotted on the mountain. Now, this story would be a lot better if I'd actually seen a bear. I never actually saw a bear. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm evidently bear blind, and so I never saw one. But we'd get the dogs in, and I remember one time, my son at that time, just a wee boy, probably, I don't know, um, seven, eight years old, and he came to me and he said, Dad, there's a big, mean dog in the front yard. And my first thought was, that might not be a dog. And I looked out, and it was a big, mean dog. And it was slobbering, and it was obviously crazed, rabid dog. And I went, all right, son, uh, I'll go out and take care of that. And so I started to step out, and he grabbed the back of my, my trousers, my belt. And I looked down at him. He goes, don't go out there. You could get hurt. I said, son, this is the only reason the women keep us around. <clears throat> if anything happens to me, it's your job to come drag my body back into the house. It's all right. It toughened him up. Um, the bridegroom was supposed to be a heroic figure. He's supposed to be the one that jumps out. Whenever, um, ladies, understand this about your guy. He wants to be that hero. That's why when he washes a dish, he'll show it to you. I watched that. 
And you might think, well, you, you used it. You should have. But no, no, he's still thinking, favor. That's why men mow the lawn when it's 92 degrees. Why? Because it's impressive. You're supposed to wilt like a lily in their hands. And you don't because you're going, whoa. Uh, no. We, the bridegroom wants to be your hero. So Jesus rides in here. Most poems and songs, and I'm a collector of literature and especially of music, most poems and songs about weddings in the history of mankind sing the praises of the bridegroom and the beauty of the bridegroom and the strength and the riches of the bridegroom. And the bride rarely gets mentioned. Now, I happen to think brides are beautiful. I happen to think women are beautiful. That's not the point. We cannot lose this concept of the bridegroom. During the Old Testament, go read it sometime and make a note of all the different tribe names. How many are still there? When was the last time you met somebody on a trip and said, uh, where are you from? And they say, I'm a Jebusite. I'm a Philistine. No, they're gone. Why? No bridegroom to protect them. Where are the Israelites? They're still here. They had a bridegroom. That's the difference. They had a hero that rode in to protect the people of God. And the Jews in Jesus' day were very much aware of this metaphor and what it meant. They understood they were the bride. God was their protector. He'd, rode, he'd ridden in, not because they were beautiful, because remember, most marriages, the, the husband and the wife, it's a, it, it's a, rather, the bride, it's a contractual thing. They hadn't seen each other and fallen in love. It was a choice to come protect that person. It was a choice to take them. He came prepared for this marriage. He also expects the bride to prepare. Isaiah 61 and verse 10. I delight greatly in the Lord. This is the bride speaking. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and a bride adorns herself with her jewels. There's a part we play. The part we play is to be our best for the bridegroom. I love the, the staff here, and I love the church, and I love the way that we can meet and laugh and have fun. And, and we always have a 9 o'clock meeting on a Sunday morning uh, to, to plan the worship. It's already been planned, but just to make sure everybody knows what part to play. And as I looked over the, the song list, and uh, Mark was, was rolling down through there for him, I said, oh, look, oh, Lord, you're beautiful. I said, that's what Cammy says to me every morning. And there's laughter. Why? Anyway, um, then I looked a while and went, no, no, it's indescribable. That's what she's saying. It's, what, what if we woke up rejoicing in each other and rejoicing in our God and prepare for our God? He continues the metaphor in the next chapter as he promises to rescue Israel. That's what a bridegroom does. Rescue Israel from the enemies that surround them. Isaiah 62 no longer will they call you deserted. Remember, this is the woman on her own. Or your, name your land desolate. But you will be called Hetzabah, and your land Beulah. That means beautiful and taken and accepted and loved. For the Lord will take delight in you, and your land, look at that word, your land will be married. 
you are protected. Ladies, let me talk to you for a moment about this. You're laying at night and you hear a noise. Women hear noises before men. It's just one of those things. You lay there for a while and you listen to the noise. And then you, you, you rouse your husband. Oh, there's a noise. I'm aware that he'll first say, no, there isn't, because he was busy. He was sleeping. And, and that, was, that was where his concentration was. But once he hears the noise, he usually leaps out of bed. He will grab a Louisville slugger from under the bed or something, and in his BVDs, head down the hallway. About that time, women don't get this. And they'll be going, what are you doing? Get back in here. <laughs> and he's standing there completely lost. Well, I was sleeping. You brought up the noise. I'm going to deal with the noise. Now I can't. Guys, I don't, there's no way for you to really believe this. Just accept it. She didn't want you to go kill the noise. She just wanted you to share the moment. <laughs> Ladies, if we can't kill it, don't point it out. <laughs> we want to be the bridegroom. We want to be the hero. We try. I've had the one lady said, you, my husband doesn't want to be the hero. He won't even take out the trash. There's a reason. There's a reason. Taking out the trash is not impressive. It really isn't. If, if it was radioactive and take, or evolving into a higher life form, yes, that would be. But it's not impressive. We, we like to do the big impressive thing. Think of what happens when the bridegroom comes. Chapter 65 and verse 19 I will rejoice over Jerusalem. I will take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Guys, the thing a bridegroom does, he stops the crying. He goes, no, you don't need to cry anymore. I got this. I'm not going to make you cry. I'm going to stop the crying. That's a great thing for a bridegroom, isn't it? And we who are looking for our bridegroom, and we all are, Guys, don't get uncomfortable with this. I need a hero on the ridge every so often. I need the Calvary coming over the hill. I need the bridegroom to come and protect. God said, that's me. I'll do that. One question every family and every bride had when the arrival of the bridegroom was imminent was, when he sees me, will he love me? It's a heartbreaking but very human response. Will he reject me? Will he take me as contract but not as his love? God answers that question with a promise. In the little red book of Zephaniah, chapter 3, sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad. Rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He has turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day, they will say to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. He will rejoice over you. Don't worry. He's going to love you. He's going to think this is fantastic. 
I love Psalm 19. We're not going to read that today because of the length of, uh, rather the, the amount of time I have set aside here. But Psalm 19 talks about God pitching his tent every sunrise. It means as a bridegroom would come, he would pitch his tent to say, this is my protected area. And every sunrise, God sets up his tent saying, these are my people. They're under my protection. I am their bridegroom. Isn't that amazing? And then that comforting. He made vows to us. By the way, most bridegrooms did not make vows in this way during Jesus' time or the Old Testament or in most of the world today. They, they made a contract. But look what the vows are in Hosea chapter 2. I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice, in love and compassion. Well, stop right there for a minute. In all of Scripture, there's only one couple who get married where it is said that they love each other. It's Jacob and Rachel. All the others, love came later. You worked on it, you met each other, you got married, you went from there. But no, he says, no, it's not gonna, you're just not going to live here. I'm going to love you, compassion. I will betroth you in faithfulness, and you will acknowledge the Lord. That's our response. And it's a response of the bride to the bridegroom saying, I acknowledge the value you bring. I acknowledge what you do for me. I acknowledge your worth and value. In a world where women have been mistreated for so long, it is easy, and we, we perhaps have, have reached that point, uh, to get to the point where we only speak well of the women and not of the men. Don't do that. We are equal before our Father. There's a value there. Recognize it. The problem in Scripture with the metaphor of the bridegroom is not the groom, it's the bride. Throughout Scripture, God paints himself as a God who pursues us while we ignore him. Heartbreakingly, in the Old Testament, a couple times he says, I gave you gifts, and you took them and gave them to other lovers. I shared with you what I had and who my heart, and you spurned it and laughed and went to others. He paints himself as the brokenhearted, spurned suitor of our souls. Philip Yancey speaks of that often in his books. For example, Disappointment with God and Where is God When It Hurts? And says, you would not want God's job for a moment because it would destroy your heart. It would break your heart. Think about this. Many of the things we allow to entertain us, many of the things we laugh about are things that break the heart of God. It breaks my heart when I see on Facebook and a show will come on that's all about serial adultery or lust, like The Bachelor or Bachelorette or something, and, and Christians are all over it going, oh, I'm rooting for this one. Really? Don't you think this breaks the heart of God? Don't laugh at these things. Don't be encouraged by these things. The whole book of Hosea deals with that fact that we sell ourselves into slavery. We give ourselves to others in spite of being surrounded with gifts from God. In Matthew 24, 1 through 14, it's a very well-known passage. God holds a wedding feast for his son. You ever notice that? It's not for the bride. 
because the bridegroom was the one that was important. He holds a wedding feast for his son, and in that famous passage, we see that God is not going to wait for the busy, the distracted, the excuse-making guest. Instead, he's going to look for those who love him enough to respond to the invitation. I will submit to you that busyness and lack of appreciation kill more marriages than adultery does. We just get too busy to admire, too busy, too distracted to appreciate. It's what kept the highly esteemed guest from making it to the wedding feast. And once again in Matthew 25, the bridegroom shows up and finds not everybody was waiting. Not everybody was ready. And that's a part of our lesson. God wants us to learn from the story of the bridegroom. Be ready. Stay ready. He is in your life every day. He has pitched his tent this morning. Stay clean. Look for spiritual growth and perfection. Look for righteousness. That ought to be a daily target. Then play, we also play another part. We introduce the bridegroom to people he loves. We're the great introducer. That's one of the great, now the best man today holds the rings and sometimes throws a party or something. But back then, the best man is the one who precedes the bridegroom through the town and introduces him to the family and negotiates the value of the bridegroom and the bride between the families. We are the best man of Jesus Christ. Take a look in John chapter 3. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom, that's us, waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. We speak of Jesus. We hear Jesus. And we turn and tell the other people, don't look at me anymore. He's here. Look at Jesus. What an amazing set of pictures. We spread the good news. We're no longer stranded in this world. We're no longer open to its attacks. We're no longer fair game for any demon that wants to come along. No, we have a bridegroom who came with a sword on a noble steed who had written on his thigh, that's, his, that's the, the strong bone. If you knock out the thigh, the guy's dead on the battlefield. The word of God. He is our Lord. While the band comes back up, I don't want to take away from this, we are loved, we are the bride of Christ. Love and appreciate him in return for what he has done for us. I don't want to take that away, but there is one thing I'd like to leave with the men in the room. In describing what this bridegroom was going to be like, God told Isaiah this, in Isaiah 32 and verse 2, he will be like a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert, and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Men, be that. Be that not only to your wives, but to everybody in our area. I told this story before. Let me just check. I've got a little bit of time. I can do this again. First car my son had, I bought him. It was 1974 Grand Torino. And we restored it because I'm cool. 
And because I like raising the bar and making other fathers uncomfortable, it was really a way for us for two or three years to talk about life and death and killing and service because he was going into the core. We bonded over that car. But because it was a 1974 Grand Torino, it frequently needed tires. Because accidentally, tires would light up repeatedly. So we went to get tires in a difficult, hard part of town in the Detroit area. We got our tires. We paid. We were about to leave when in walked a woman who I don't believe addressed this way on purpose. The Bible says some women are silly women. And I try to be subtle about this. I don't know how to describe it other than to say, you can't put seven pounds of flour in a five-pound sack. There was an issue. As we walked out, things were getting dark, and there were some men on the street looking through the glass, and we heard some comments they made. My son was 17 years old. Without a word, he turned to me and nodded once, and we walked back in. And we sat. We didn't say anything to her. We didn't say, we're here for you, or there's a danger. We just sat. We waited for about an hour or so until her car was done. She was in it, and she was away safely. We went on home. Why? Because I taught him as an infant, as a little boy, anybody in your area is under your protection. You will be, my son, a shelter from the wind, a refuge from the storm, streams of water in the desert, the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land, because the bridegroom is that, and he has called us to that standard.